good morning. I uh, have been teaching the biblical sexuality course, and I can't tell you how many times I've checked my notes this morning just to make sure I have the right notes up here with me. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden, they oh, wrong, wrong information. But um, uh, yeah, isn't it good to have Pastor Peter back? You know, uh, make me uh, look like I'm going to be all boring and stuff, but um, we will not be hoisting your child over any podium during the um, dedication time. But uh, I want to welcome you here. My name is Ike Unger. Uh, for those of you that are maybe new with us and, and don't know who I am, and I'm the lead pastor here at Deer Run Church, and, and it's an honor to be able to speak to you this morning and to share God's word with you. And, and what we've been doing in the last uh, week is looking at the topic of worship. And worship is one of those big things uh, that worship and leadership are probably some of the bigger things that are discussed in churches. And there's a lot of uh, different definitions of worship. And so what we've decided to do is not necessarily focus on defining what worship is and, and doing, um, taking that approach, but rather what we want to do instead is we want to talk about some of the practicalities, some of the things that are involved in worshiping and what it, you know, um, you know, what it means for us in our lives. And so last week we started by talking about personal worship. And if you haven't watched that sermon, um, you know, we'll let you stay for now. But I really would encourage you to go watch it either online or listen to it online. You can find all of that on dearrun.church and the information is there and just go to sermons and you can find it really easy. The reason I would encourage you to go listen to last week's sermon is because you're going to hear me say again this morning that unless we are developing and strengthening our own personal life with Christ, uh, it will have an impact on what we do here. So to build off of what we said last week, we, we, said, that, and we said this, that worship is not something you turn on and off. Okay? I want you to understand that and I want you to focus on that because worship is not something that is turned on and off and one day you know you're like oh i'm going to worship today and then once you're done you know whatever bible reading or something like that now it's turned off and worship is constant worship is one of those things that you are constantly constantly doing and the same is true for us here at church so you're not worshiping while we're singing you're not worshiping just while you're listening to the service you're not worshiping only when you're in this room it's not like as soon as you leave here you're done worshiping we are always always worshiping and we said last week that the question that we need to then ask ourselves is where is our worship directed okay and so I think for some of you it's like well I I have never really thought of my life as well I'm always always worshiping uh, we've kind of associated with certain types of things that we do and I want to just emphasize that again today that we recognize that we are always in a time of worship the question is where are we directing that worship and so this is true in our personal lives this is also true when we gather together like this as a body of, of believers our worship to God must be genuine and that is why it's so important for us to direct our worship to him throughout the week so that when we gather like this on a Sunday that what we are doing is we are bringing in a sense our personal worship together and so by having worshiped in our own personal lives we are now bringing that together and we're combining our worship that has been taking place in our own personal lives so I want to illustrate that 
to you this morning, and I'm hoping it'll work, and I've asked some of you uh, to help me out with this, and I'm really grateful for the willingness. And so what I want to do is I want to illustrate. I've, I've handed out some candles and some lighters, and we're going to light these things in a little bit just to illustrate to you what this would look like if you would, let's say, this candle that's going to be lit, this is one worshiper who has worshipped personally throughout the week, and now they've come here together into this building. And so we're going to kill all the lights and if you're watching this, you know, you might not get a really good view of this. So would candle number one please light your candle and just hold it up. There it is. Okay, so look around. That's one person who said, I have worshipped in my own personal life. So would two to five, would you light your candles please? Hopefully they're not all sitting together. There we go. So they're blowing out. Sorry, that's the, the, the vents in here. So would... With the rest of you that I gave candles to, would you light yours? So there you get a glimpse of if these were the individuals represented here today, they're like, we have personally worshipped throughout the week. Now, I want you to picture this for a moment. And I'm not making a statement with this. With what if we would say every single one of us has personally worshipped throughout the week, so every single one of us is holding a candle? Imagine the glow that we would have in here. Thank you very much. You can turn the lights back on. I hope that that illustrates a point to you. That sometimes when we come to church, what we're doing is, is we're just participating, we're just here, and, and we're just engaging, and, or we're just sort of as an audience, you know, and we're not really taking part of this in our own personal life, and it has an impact. When one candle was lit over there, you know, wow, okay, great, one candle kind of stands out. Once, two, three, four, five, it already kind of went bigger. But imagine if every single one of us here would have been holding a candle. You can all picture what a scene that would have been. It would have been like, you know, hundreds of candles lit, and it would have had this glow in the room. You would have almost felt the warmth of those candles after a little while. I want us to have that image in mind of the importance of every single one of us coming here, having worshipped Jesus Christ throughout the week in our own personal lives. That by you worshipping God in your own life and directing your worship to Him throughout the week, that you are bringing something beautiful to this place. Our personal worship has an impact on what we do here together. Our personal worship has an impact on how we experience church here together on a Sunday morning. When we have spent worshiping God individually, then we join together, the celebration will be that much richer. Now, Pastor Peter is going to speak to us next week on lamenting worship. Because here's one thing I want you to understand. Worship does not necessarily mean always just being joyful. I recognize that maybe some of you have had a very hard week. And so maybe you're like, well, I didn't really feel like worshiping. You're still worshiping. The question is, where are you directing your worship? And your, your worship to God doesn't always have to just be, you know, joyful and celebration and, and, and those kind of things. We talked last week about the need sometimes just to express your longings to God. And so maybe some of you have worshipped this week and, and you have expressed just, God, you're, I'm hurting and I'm broken and I don't even know what I need in my life and I'm just longing for you and I just need you, God, to do something in my life. And there's been this longing just to experience God and to just share your burden with Him. 
So I want you to understand that sometimes in our weeks, when, when we've had a rough week, you don't need to just have expressed only praise and the only time you worship was when you were expressing praise. It's really, really important for us to recognize that every single day, every single hour that we're, you know, that we're awake, we are expressing worship somewhere. And I want to encourage us to focus throughout the week on bringing you know, or, or directing our worship to God and then on Sundays bringing that here. So our worship, our personal worship has a big impact on what we do here together. If we are not worshiping God during the week, it will hinder us from worshiping God together here on a Sunday morning. And, but if we are worshiping God all week, it will overflow out of us into what we are doing here. I think this is actually a really beautiful cycle. When we worship God in our personal lives, it leads to richer worship when we are together as a church. And then, and I don't know about you, but if I've, had, if I've had an amazing time on a Sunday morning of worshiping God, if God's spoken through me, through people, and, and through the service, whatever it may be, it impacts my personal worship. And so then my personal worship gets richer, and then if I bring that to a Sunday morning, then the Sunday morning time is even richer, and, and it's just this beautiful cycle of us worshiping God, and God working through each of us on a Sunday morning, and then through the Sunday morning service to each of us. And so I want to really encourage all of us to really focus on bringing our worship to God in every area of our lives. There are many verses <clears throat> in Scripture that emphasize the importance of coming together like this. And so this morning, I want to talk to us about corporate worship, worshiping together as a church. Paul instructs Timothy to lead people in worship by instructing them in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. He says, Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Here Paul is saying, I want you, Timothy, to focus on this public time of worship through Scripture reading, through teaching, through um, you know, uh, preaching and, and, you know, and sharing God's Word, not in your personal life, Timothy, but together as a congregation, out in public, where for all to see and to all, for all to be able to participate in. In Hebrews, the author challenges the church to persevere in their faith. And one of the things that he mentions, and it's interesting, he says to them, do not stop meeting together. And so here the author is like, there's something valuable about coming together. Let me read these verses to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since you have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And there's a ton that we could focus on here because the temple used to be the place that you went to and the, the high priest could go behind the curtain to the Holy of Holies only once. And now Paul is, uh, or the writer here is saying, we can do that all the time now through what Jesus has done for us. So then he says in verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for, we who, uh, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Okay, he's like, we're going to need to do this. And one of the ways we're going to do this, one of the ways that we're going to spur each other on, one of the ways that we're going to encourage each other is by not uh, giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. 
but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. There is something about us gathering together like this. There's something about you out in the foyer or in the cafe walking up to somebody, shaking their hand or greeting them and saying, how was your week? You may not look at that as something that's really important, but if that's not happening anywhere else in their life, then it's happening at the church where they feel cared for and they feel you know, loved and they feel accepted and embraced. So even that kind of time together is an important act of worship. By us sharing and, and carrying each other's burden, just, you know, every single Sunday morning, someone comes up to me and says, you know, I have this and this going on in my life, can you pray for me? Or they send, you know, email or whatever it might be throughout the week and just say, can you pray for us? Because part of being a church is that we carry each other's burden. By you coming and by you interacting and by you caring about the people who are here is part of worship. And that's why the writer here says, so don't stop meeting together. Because there's something that happens when we are gathered like this in corporate worship that cannot happen in our lives when we are only worshiping as individuals. However, do not miss the importance of personal worship. This isn't enough. This is awesome. I love Sunday mornings. Sometimes they stress me out. But most of the time, I am just, this is an awesome time. And we, we don't want to ever downplay the importance of this, but I want to say to you, this is not enough. You need to be spending time in the presence of God. You need to be spending your week directing your worship to Him all, at all times. So why is worshiping to, uh, God together so important? Chip Ingram, he says, gives us these two reasons. Number one, worship brings an upward look. When we worship God, it gives us an upward look. In other words, a glance at God. You know, through the songs that we sang this morning, we have a look upward towards who God is, and we, we focus on Him. You know, we have a glance at God on His throne in all His glory. So many of the songs that we sing here focus on recognizing the glory and the majesty and the beauty of God. It refocuses our view of who God is. It pulls our affection out of our idols, out of the things that we think are most important, and all of a sudden we're reminded together to place our focus on who God is. It causes us to remember how good He is, how big He is, how kind He is, how powerful and loving He is, and how holy He is. All of these things can happen to us on an individual level, but here's something that's really interesting. When we are all reminded of that together, we tend to spur one another on. We tend to remind each other maybe throughout the week and saying, well, remember what was said on Sunday. Remember the songs that we read. Remember the passage that was read and all these kind of things and they sort of spur each other on. Here's how I know that's true. Our board of elders a few years ago, they've been sending people to training um, to different events already for, for a long time and these events are really important. And what we, done some, what we did sometimes is we sent a handful of people at a time, you know, because it's expensive. And, and so just a small group of us would, would, uh, would go because usually these events that we went to were far away and we had to fly there and it, it cost a lot of money and we want to be good stewards of, that, of the money. Well, a few years ago, there was one close enough that we could drive there. So guess what the board decided to do? Every single one of us went. When we came back, those next number of meetings, probably even, even to this day sometimes, what the board members that were there would constantly remind each other of what we had heard there. Don't howl the wow out of the room. It was one of the things that we heard there, and that was something that was constantly, constantly said. Now, because we were all there, 
we reminded each other and we encouraged each other and we kind of held each other accountable and all those kind of things. Why? Because we had all experienced the same thing. That's why personal worship is important, but at the same time, corporate worship is so important so that throughout the week, we can encourage each other by what God has said to us. And so when we gather together, it focuses our worship, it focuses our attention upward to God. This is important in our personal lives, but it's vitally important for us as a whole church to gather in order to draw our focus upward to who God is, to be in awe together of Him, to be reminded of why we are here. The second thing that it does is it brings an inward focus. When we see God for who He is, you start to see yourself for who you are. And there's nothing more beautiful than for an entire congregation all of a sudden to realize that without God, we really aren't all that much. And it's a nice reminder, and sometimes we may become a little bit arrogant in our own lives, and we may think more of ourselves than we should, and all of a sudden now we're all together, and as we're listening at who God is, we're all reminded together of who we are and our dependence on, on God. And when that happens, there's, there's a humility that takes place that, that is a necessary part of everyday life. So you start to see things in your own heart and in your own life that maybe should bother you and that, that you need to work on. But notice after you know, Isaiah saw and confessed his sinfulness, he also experienced the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. When Isaiah had seen, and I didn't read the passage, but when Isaiah had seen the majesty and the beauty of God, he thought for sure he was a dead man. But he also at the same time experienced the grace of God. But worship doesn't end there. Here's the amazing thing. Genuine worship also leads us to an outward look. A personal response or an action, a desire to be obedient to whatever God has called us to. And that's why we've said so often in this building that worship in our church is not just what happens within these walls. Worship and serving God and being the church goes beyond what happens in these walls. Just this week, Ben Dyke and I had the privilege of going to LDSS and, and giving you know, um, a donation again on behalf of the church to help feed kids that are hungry in that school. And just this last week, um, another school in the community called us up and said, Hey, Pastor Ike, we're just wondering if your church would be willing to come into our, our school again and help us out with, with this need. And I don't know about you, but when the community is calling us, saying we know that you have compassion for people in your community, would you help us? That's what I want to be as a church. I want to be a church, and I want us to be a church that the community looks at and says they can help. And it's not just giving money. They recognize that we give that money. Why? Because we care about our community. And so when we worship God in our individual lives, when we worship God in our, as a corporate church, we are drawing our focus towards Him, but we are also seeing who we are, and that leads us to an outward focus of what we need to and what we can do within the community. True worship is seeing afresh the tremendous worth of God and in response, giving Him our best in everything that we do. So I want to focus now the last part of the sermon on some of the practicalities then of worshiping together as a congregation. How do we express worship? Last week we mentioned the importance of changing our posture. And I want to spend some time today talking about our posture when it comes to worshiping. I was reading an article in Christianity Today by a man named Daniel Block. And this line jumped out at me. He said this, It turns out the, uh, uh, the Bible's idea of worship is mostly about posture 
and not about music or praise. That's April 22nd, 2019 um, um, edition. See, when it comes to worshiping in the church, here's what we've really done. And we've done this already for years, and this has already been addressed and spoken to when I was in college years and years and years ago. Um, they already talked about the danger of this back then. But what, what we've done when it comes to worship in the church is we've narrowed it down to music. And so we would even say, like, would the worship team come up now? And I do that all the time, and, and I don't, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but we need to make sure that we don't have the wrong understanding of that. But we might say, would the worship team come up? And then we might say something like this, let's read this passage of Scripture before we worship. Or we might say, you know, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll, before we spend time in worship. And I understand what we're saying, but we need to make sure that we recognize that music is not the only way that we can worship. And in the churches, guess what we've done? We've narrowed it down even more, and we've started, said that the, really the only type of music that you are worshiping through is contemporary worship music. Hymns and some of those things have kind of been, you know, and there's other types of music out there that we would probably feel somewhat uncomfortable doing, you know, in this church. And so we've kind of narrowed it down, and I'm, I'm, I'm raising these things because we need to make sure that we don't have an image or a view of worship as only singing, as only that time when there's music being played. So this raises an interesting question then for us. Is singing a song in and of itself worship? I don't think so. What does our posture during the service say about our worship so if i'm singing a song and about how awesome god is how great is our god and i'm like you know like when's this done but i'm singing am i worshiping just because i'm singing block goes on to say we cannot speak of the biblical of biblical worship without starting with the physical gesture of submission and homage before God the Father and, and the, Jesus Christ the Son. See, our posture speaks. When your kids, uh, you tell them to go do something and they stomp their feet while they're doing it, you, you never are like, man, I love how they listen. They listen so well. Yeah, they're picking up their clothes, but they're throwing them and they're mad. And you, their posture, their gestures have an impact on what you'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Watch your attitude. You know, if you ask your kid, how was your day? It was awesome. You know, yeah, you're like, okay, something's not quite right. What went, you know, what's going on? Their gesturing, their enthusiasm, their mannerisms and all those kind of things say something about what they mean. And I want to suggest to us today that the same is true when it comes to worship. When we explore the posture of worship in the New Testament, we find that there really isn't any change from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of bowing down and, and falling on their faces, and so the same is true in the New Testament. Matthew you know, tells us that when the, um, when the wise men found Jesus, they didn't sing a song to Jesus. They bowed down and worshiped him. Chapter 2, verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, listen to the Apostle Paul, John. He's one of the twelve. He's one of the three. But now that he sees Jesus in his glorified body, look at what he says, verses one, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He didn't sing a song to Jesus in that moment. 
He bowed down and he fell down in reverence and in awe of who Jesus was. In chapter 5, verse, uh, Revelation chapter 5, 14, 7, 11, we read about how the four creatures are going around the throne of God and they are proclaiming their worship and then they fall down in awe, in reverence, in worship before God. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and on, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee should bow. I want to ask you a question, and I ask myself the same question. This is important, so listen, please. As a church, have we lost our reverence? In our worship here at this church, have we lost our reverence of who God is? I think this is an important question. If the Apostle John, one of the, and the four creatures and all of those, when they saw Jesus and when they stood before Jesus, if they kneel and bow, I have to ask myself, shouldn't we? And if we're not, is, is that saying something? about who we are. I realize some of you are like, man, I'm too old for this, I'm this, I'm this. I'm just raising the question. I'm not saying you need to change anything. I'm just asking us, if we are in a time of worship and we never are willing to humble ourselves and bow down, what is that saying about the reverence that we have about God or for God? I remember years ago, I stood on this pulpit and I told you, I'm not a hand raiser. When I sing, I sing, and I may have goosebumps, but I, I don't raise my hands. Well, at that time, it was a number of years ago, I was still leading our pursuit ministry, our young adult ministry, and, and one of the young adults asked this question, raised this question, and said, so if God prompted you to raise your hands, would you raise your hands? And so I said to the individual in front of everybody, well, God has never prompted me to raise my hands. So this is a young adult, I'm a little older than them, and so they're all trying not to get into an argument with the pastor, and so they just let it go. Well, guess who didn't? God. So I'm at an event. We've had a time of singing, we've had a time of prayer, we've had a sermon, and this is an event for pastors, and I'm there all by myself, no other dear run people around, and all of a sudden this nudging comes again. Will you raise your hand? And so the speaker came up and says, we're going to spend some time in silence. And we're just going to spend time reflecting on our own lives. And I'm like, oh, great. Now you're just making room for, you know, this interrogation that God's going to do in my life. And then he says, and then in the end, we're going to sing a song of response. And you just respond however God's leading you. See, my wife was a hand raiser, or is a hand raiser, but I just assume she comes from a different denomination, and so I'm, you know, I'm not bothered by it. I'm like, yeah, cool, you know, she raises hands. I don't raise hands. That's what I told God. I'm not a hand raiser. And I told you all that. But in the, at this event, they start singing, and all of a sudden, Ike Unger has his hands in the air. And I'm looking around. No one's looking. No one cared. All this time I thought, you know, whoa, stop, Ike's raising his, stop, stop the music, put your hands down, Ike, because it's all about Ike. You know, I was sure that that was going to happen, but here's the crazy thing. Next Sunday I'm in here sitting right there, and I felt that same prompting, and I didn't raise my hands. See, I argued with myself that if I did, I would be a distraction to all of you. Man, I made myself powerful, didn't I? I have the power to distract you. Well, a few weeks later, 
and I'm, the timeline's a little blurry because I didn't write down the exact, but I remember a few weeks later, I'm preaching, and we're singing. And I felt the nudge to raise my hands, and I didn't. And then this word popped in my head, hypocrite. Hypocrite. Then I got to come up here and preach a sermon while that word is ringing in my ears. Needless to say, it didn't go well. You see, God was leading me to do something, to respond in a way that I was not willing to respond. So I had to do some work, and I had to do some research, and I found in lots and lots of passages that there is a lot of evidence of people raising their hands and worshiping God through, you know, Scripture and through, by, by, through their, their posture, I mean. Look at what it says in Psalm 28, verse 2. Hear me cry for mercy as I call to you for help. I lift my hands towards you, most holy place. Psalm 141, verse 2. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Paul instructs the men in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, lift up holy hands. There are many, many other verses that say the same thing. But what God was illustrating or what God was pointing me to is that my posture in worshiping Him is important. Posture means something. That when He's looking at me and I'm singing these songs and I'm glorifying and I'm praising Him, but I'm standing there like I could care less, that gesture, that posture means something to Him. So after a lot of prayer, after a lot of time, I made the decision that if I were prompted, I would lift my hands. And yes, folks, I joined the hand-lifting crowd. My wife is so proud of me, finally, good for you, you know. Yeah, look at you. All right. So, typical Ike Unger, though, I made myself some boundaries. I wanted this to be intentional. So I made myself some boundaries, and I said for myself this, I would never do it for show, and it would never, ever be fake. I went to an event one time, and I saw fake gesturing and posturing, and it, it, it bothered me. I also made this thing in my head that different gestures, hand gestures, would mean different things for me. And you can do whatever you want with this. For me, often when the scripture reading or something being said, or maybe a song like some of the ones that we sang today, this means one thing, this means something else. You, please don't copy me. You need to do your own thing. Here's why I decided different gestures would mean different things. I didn't want it to all be the same thing. I want God to know what this means. I want God to know what this means. And like everything else in my life, my family, my finances, you know, my, my marriage, I dedicated this to God. I said, God, I'm doing this not so that I'm doing it. I'm doing this now as part of my worship. I want this to enhance my worship. I don't want it to be a distraction. I don't want it to be fake. But I want to begin to posture myself before you in a way that is meaningful to the words that I'm singing, to the scriptures that are being read. So I want to say this. I hope this comes across right. That in my unwillingness to be obedient to God over many, many years, if that has hindered any of you from expressing yourself freely, please accept my apology. I want you to be free in this place to express yourself. If you want to bow, please bow. It is not about us. And if someone looks at you, let them look. 
they will need to address that before God just like I had to. So to wrap this up, I want to challenge us with three thoughts, and these are very, very practical, okay? Number one, when you come here on Sunday morning, express yourself. So come prepared. Come prepared, uh, you know, to meet God. Marie and I, last week, we went from the, you know, the corner of Oak Street to here, and we timed it out. And guess what? It was exactly one minute from Oak Street to here. So use that time to prepare yourself. Use that time to, you know, to maybe pray as a family and say, as we now come and gather, would you speak to us, God? Invite God to speak to you. Invite God to speak through you. Number two, come not just as an audience. Come as a participant. Come prepared to sing loud. Come prepared you know, to meet people and encourage people. Recognize that you are part of what happens here. Greet people, encourage others, sing along, bring your Bible, follow along in what's being preached, take notes, engage in what's happening. Don't just come as an audience, come as someone who is participating. And then number three, come respectfully. When there's someone on stage and they're presenting, whether it's a time of prayer, you need to recognize that a lot of energy and time has gone into preparation for this. So when you come and there's people on stage, you please come respectfully. Allow them to do what God has led them to do. What I'm talking about here is I find very often I'm sitting up in front here and I can hear people talking in the back while the song is going, while people are talking. So let's come respectfully. And so that doesn't mean that the minute you walk in here, you have to be all silent. But as soon as someone begins to lead from the, uh, from the stage, let's just engage. Let's lean in and be led and allow those people who have prayed and asked God to lead them to lead you. Lean into that. Participate in that. And enjoy what God is going to do together. So let's pray. And then this team will lead us in songs. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to be here together, to worship you in song, to worship you through your word, through worshiping you by being together, by just being an encouragement to each other. And so I pray, God, now as we sing one, one more song today, that we would be free to respond, not just today, but every single time that we are together here, and that our gestures and our postures and our attitudes and our hearts would line up with you, and, and that we would just express ourselves completely to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.